If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to make your way to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be in verses 16 through 18 this morning, and we are dealing with the spiritual discipline of fasting. Um, and so we not only lost an hour of sleep, but now we just to deal with a topic I'm sure we're all going to love to deal with. Um, you know, I, I really am encouraged at times when some of y'all come up and share what God has spoken to you uh, through the sermon or or how, much, how meaningful it was to you, and I, I enjoy getting that encouragement. I don't, I don't need you to tell me that. Sometimes I actually feel awkward when people say something, because I'm like, well, it wasn't really me, but uh, thank you. Um, I was joking with the men this last uh, Monday at prayer meeting that uh, I, I'm guessing I'm not going to get as many words of encouragement this morning as we're dealing with fasting, um, but we're walking through the Gospels in our series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, and one thing we have to do when we go through the Gospels in this manner is we can't skip those things that are maybe uncomfortable or things we don't even want to hear about um, and things that seem foreign to us. So we have to deal with this. In the last uh, several weeks, we've been dealing with the spiritual disciplines that were a priority in the Jewish life and giving and praying and this morning fasting. And each of these begin with the phrase, when you implying that these are things that, for Jesus' audience, this, these were things they were already doing, but it also implies to us now as Jesus' followers, these are things that we are going to continue to do. And so I imagine with the first two of giving to the needy and praying, most of us probably have no problem with those things. Most of us are actually already doing those things. And so when God tells us, we're like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. But when we come to fasting, um, I imagine many of us here don't know much about it. I wonder how many of us have actually practiced it, um, but it is something that Jesus implied that we would be doing. I was surprised as I was going through my sermon prep and, and message studying, and I do it every single week, um, and I found in several commentaries they actually skipped this passage altogether. Um, and I've, I found it funny because I think it was a great analogy uh, of Christians who have never fasted and, and skipped this spiritual discipline as well, but we can't. Jesus teaches it here in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus also modeled it. So we're going to deal with fasting in a couple different ways. We're going to look at what God says about fasting, what Jesus taught about fasting, how Jesus' original audience would understand the discipline of fasting, and the implication this is going to have on our life and in fasting. And then we're going to discuss on different ways we can fast that are known throughout Scripture. So beginning in verse 16 of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6, and the word of the Lord says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we just humbly submit to your holiness, your authority over our life. You are our Lord, Savior. You have set us apart by our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and our Savior. And Lord, we come before you and we ask that your Spirit speak to us in a way that only you can. Father, you know every heart in this room. You know where everyone is. You know uh, everyone's understanding of the topic and subject we're dealing with this morning, Lord. And we just pray that your spirit would just move in such a way that it transform us more into your likeness. We ask you continue to be glorified, that your kingdom and will continue to be done as we come to worship you into the studying of your scripture and, and your voice. 
We do ask you to forgive us where we have failed you. We thank you for all the blessings you've given us in this past week, the way you've protected us, you've guided us, you've disciplined us, you've loved on us, the mercy you continue to show us. Father, your faithfulness to us is amazing. And so, Lord, we just come and we ask that you just speak in a way only you can as our Father. Again, be glorified. And pray so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so, who here would be willing to say that fasting is kind of a foreign concept? No one wants to admit it? Okay. Maybe a few. Maybe you just, uh, you're being shy this morning. Maybe you're still waking up. Wake up! I know you lost an hour. Wake up. Come on. Uh, so, I give you full permission this morning if you see someone starting to ride the uh, sleepy Sandman roller coaster, you know, just uh, give them a nice little elbow to the side. Um, Fasting for Jesus' original audience wasn't a foreign concept at all. The issue of fasting, as it was with giving and praying, to Jesus' original audience, it had been taught, it had been modeled incorrectly. And so this is why Jesus is beginning with these three. They were the most well-known, but they had been taught to the people, the Jewish people, God's people, in a way that wasn't correct. So when it comes to fasting, verse 16, it's actually connected to verse 1 of chapter 6, where it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so even though these things had been practiced, they were done with the wrong of intent of being seen in public rather than to develop and grow deeper in one's relationship with God. The Pharisees, who were the teachers of God's law, they believed that a righteous individual would fast twice a week on Monday and Thursday. And there are some that have taken this passage that we're looking at this morning, and they've taught and that we are not to be like the hypocrites. Therefore, we shouldn't fast on the same weeks or same days that the Pharisees did, but we should fast on two separate days, like a Wednesday and a Friday. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, actually would not ordain a minister unless they promised and made a vow to fast twice a week. The problem with all that is that is not what Jesus says here. He doesn't teach any of that. If you notice in verses 16 through 18, Jesus never defines a particular day for a fast. He never defines a particular month. He never defines a particular season to which fasting is to take place. Rather, he says that fasting is going to be a spiritual act by God's people that is going to be frequently done, and he lets us know that it is expected of us. You look throughout Scripture, we see that there are several individuals who fasted. Moses, when he went on Mount Sinai to receive the law of the Lord, we're told he fasted for 40 days. David, when he was king, fasted when he was told that the child who was conceived out of wedlock with Bathsheba would not live. The prophets Elijah and Isaiah and other prophets, they fasted. Esther, the queen, fasted. Daniel, fasted. Paul, the apostle, fasted. All the apostles at one point fasted. Many of us know that Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness before he began his earthly ministry. King Solomon called for a national fast over the nation of Israel. I bring that up because fasting wasn't a foreign concept to Jesus or his audience in this day, as it may be for us. We look throughout history, and there are many pillars of the faith we see that have fasted. Martin Luther, who led the Reformation, John Calvin, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and Billy Graham. I think many of us, when it comes to fasting, the reason we may not fast is we don't really understand it. And I wonder if there's some of us we don't fast because we're kind of fearful of what's going to happen if we do. 
The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia defines fasting as this, a deliberate and sustained abstinence from all food for a specific period of time. A fast may be associated with private acts of piety, the acknowledgement of disaster, emotional disturbance, mourning, or repentance, and it can form part of a public devotion. So to begin with the matter, we need to know what is the biblical mandate of fasting. God only commanded one time a year, and on one day a year, where all his people were to fast. That is the only time fasting is commanded in Scripture, and it's connected to the Day of Atonement. If you have your scriptures, turn to the book of Leviticus, that wonderful book we all love when we get there in our yearly Bible reading times. Leviticus chapter 16, we'll start there, verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that on the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, or you shall fast, is what that means. And you shall do no work, either in the native or either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. Again, that means you shall fast. It is a statute forever. Staying in the book of Leviticus, turn with me to chapter 23 real quick. In chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now in the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves, or you shall fast, and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Verse 29, whoever is not afflicted or whoever is not fasting on that day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever is not work and whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath, a solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves or you shall fast on the ninth day of the month beginning at evening. From evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. That phrase afflict is typically translated as shall fast. The word afflict in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, has the meaning of humbling oneself or causing ourselves to suffer through denial or abstaining from certain things in life. And so with the Day of Atonement, it wasn't just food. Did you catch that? God also said you are to fast from work. Now, we could sign up for that, couldn't we? That, let's do that fast. Of course, probably not tell our bosses what we're doing. But the understanding of afflicting ourselves, being combined with fasting, comes from the book of Psalms in chapter 35, verse 13, where it says, But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth, and I afflicted myself with fasting. For the Jewish people to understand that there was a day set by God, commanded by God, which they had to fast. But there are also situations and circumstances where they may have needed to fast or may have wanted to fast. Throughout the scriptures, fasting is typically associated with mourning over the sickness of a loved one or perhaps the mourning of a death of a loved one. 
It is associated with going through a difficult situation in life and needing God's strength and his wisdom and his, his discernment on how to get through that situation. It, fasting is associated with the state of a country or a state of a nation being in peril. Fasting was one of the main courses of action an individual would take to humble themselves before God in order to understand a situation and to find an answer in prayer. When you look in Scripture, those who fasted, that fasting was always associated with prayer because it was meant to focus on God and commune with Him. So it might lead to a question, since God commanded that in the book of Leviticus that we should fast on the Day of Atonement, why as, we as, God, why as God's people today don't we continue to fast on the Day of Atonement? And so we have to understand what that day was for. On the Day of Atonement, what would happen is a priest would take two goats, and one goat would be cast by lot, and that goat would be sacrificed, and the blood of the goat would be sprinkled on the goat that was still alive. And then the priest would lay his hands on the goat and send the goat out into the wilderness, out into a desolate area. And what it symbolized was that God had removed the sins of his nation, the sins of his people, through the blood of one sacrifice and put it on the other, and he'd taken it away from the, the camp, taken it away from the people. And so that's what the Day of Atonement was for. But now we don't fast on the Day of Atonement because Jesus Christ was our atoning sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In Romans chapter 3, we're told that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. And that word propitiation, that's Romans chapter 3, verse 25, that word is found. It points to the mercy seat or to the atoning sacrifice. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, we're told that Jesus is our high priest and he was without sin. And because of that, he was able to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It points to a sacrifice made in order to turn God's wrath away from sinful individuals. So we don't fast on the Day of Atonement because Jesus is our eternal atonement. Yet this doesn't eliminate the expectation by Jesus, by God, that we as his people would in fact fast. The issue here in Matthew 6, particularly in verse 16 is what the Pharisees had been teaching and modeling to the Jewish individuals. What the people had seen and been taught when it came to fasting is that they should, in fact, throw a pity party. And we know what pity parties are, don't we? I mean, just go to a store and you see a kid not get a toy or a piece of candy that they want, and they get all disruptive. They start throwing a pity party. Well, this is what the Pharisees were modeling to God's people when they were fasting. They would throw this pity party. That's why Jesus calls them hypocrites there in verse 16. And that's the most common word or common title he gives to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because they would fast, and then they would do it and say, Whoa, with me, I'm fasting. And they want everyone else's attention. They want everyone to know that these men were fasting. So they throw ash or they throw dirt on their face. They would tear their clothes when they went out in public. So they would draw everyone's attention. Everyone would see them doing their religious duty. And they were to be in awe. Wow. They are so close to God. But Jesus points out this model and this teaching from the Pharisees. What they showed the people was all for show. It was all for appearance which is why he calls them hypocrites. 
So that means to put on a show or appear to be doing something or to be someone that you're not. Jesus says that type of fasting has already received its reward. And its reward is public awareness. Its reward is not drawing near to God or humbling oneself to God. And Jesus tells us here with giving to the needy and praying and fasting, if we want to do spiritual things and we want to do it in such a way that we're putting on a show, then we need to understand that is all we're going to get out of it. It's to be seen by others. And since fasting can be uncomfortable, I don't think that's what we want. It's also interesting we could apply this to other aspects of, of church, other spiritual disciplines we have. Do we worship to put on a show? Do we come to church to put on a show so everyone can be happy that we're here? I can promise you our worship team isn't up here for a performance. But I know a lot of churches can do just that. It's not about worship. It's not about drawing near to God. It's about entertainment. I hate to break your hearts, but I'm not here to entertain you as a pastor. And my wife can probably attest that I'm not a very entertaining person. I tell very bad, bad dad jokes, because I have preacher jokes and I have dad jokes, and you combine those things and it's a train wreck. But we're not here to be entertained, are we? We're here to hear from God. We're here to worship God and draw near to God and to humble ourselves to God and submit to God. If we don't do that, then what are we doing? Well, this leads Jesus to teach his audience and to teach us a proper way of fasting. Look in verse 17 of 18 back in Matthew chapter 6. He says, but when you fast. And I love this about Jesus because with all these three, he's almost, even though he mentions like the father seeing in secret, he's almost like a father speaking to children. You know, you see your, your friends doing that? Don't do that. Instead, do it this way. Don't follow the pressures and the peers. Do it in a proper way, almost like a dad or a mother would speak to their children. I know your friends are doing it, but don't. And he gives them proper instruction, gives us. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, by, by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Simple lesson here, Jesus is telling us, is when we fast, and again, he's not given a, a specified time, when we fast, we're to act normal, to be ourselves. I grew up watching an NFL running back by the name of Barry Sanders, and some of our younger generation might not know who that is. You can YouTube him later. Um, but Barry Sanders played in, from 89 to sometime in the 90s, um, one of my most favorite running backs to watch. I thought he was one of the best of all time. That doesn't matter. Um, he played for the Detroit Lions, and that did matter because that made Thanksgiving football bearable because <laughs> um, you always knew he was going to do something that was going to be entertainment. And I bring up Barry Sanders um, because what, one thing Barry Sanders did when he scored a touchdown, or one thing he didn't do, he never spiked the ball when he scored a touchdown. He never did a dance. He never tried to pose for a camera or, or draw attention to himself. Once he scored a touchdown, he'd immediately run to the referee and hand him the football, and then he would run off. He acted normal. He acted like, as a starting running back in the National Football League, he was expected to be in the end zone. And that's what Jesus is teaching us when it comes to fasting. Act normal. 
Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't put on a show. Don't let other people be able to figure out what it is you're doing when you're fasting. Anoint your head. The anointing of the head in the Jewish world, and that there was a daily thing done by Jewish men. It would be similar to us, uh, some of us, <laughs> putting on hairspray and, and making our hair be able to, to shape in a certain direction. The washing of one's face would go against what Jesus brings up in verse 16 of those hypocrites who are disfiguring their faces. If we wanted to paraphrase what Jesus is instructing us here when it comes to fasting, he would say, when you fast, take a shower, put on clean clothes, brush your teeth, do your hair. Don't draw attention to yourself because if that is what you want when you fast, then that's all you're going to get. But if you're doing it for God, then keep it between you and God. And people may discover your fasting just like they may discover your private giving and your private prayer, but they're not going to discover it because you're the one advertising. Here in Matthew, the expectation is God's people are going to be givers, God's people are going to be prayers, and God's people are going to be fasters. And just so you know I'm not making this up, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Beginning in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, him being Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then... They will fast in that day. So here's the situation going on. John the Baptist had disciples. Pharisees had disciples. Disciples was not an abnormal thing to have of a teacher. So Jesus had disciples. And so all these disciples are in the same area. And John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples see Jesus' disciples aren't fasting. And the reason they probably could see it is because it was one of those days the Pharisees had set aside a Monday or Wednesday, which all of God's people would fast. And they're, so, they're fasting. They're going through the hunger pains. They're discomforted. And they look over and they see Jesus and his disciples having fish sticks, and they get upset. They do what we would all do. That's not fair. Why do we got to do this and they don't have to do this? And so Jesus takes this moment of being accused of something, and he delivers a lesson, a parable, an illustration. The wedding guests in verse 19 of, of Gospel of Mark would be the disciples, would be those individuals who have been following Jesus, who are associated with Jesus, who are with Jesus. The bridegroom in verse 19 is a way that Jesus would frequently refer to himself. And so the image he is painting is there's this wedding banquet going on. The bridegroom is here, the guests are here, and at a wedding, people don't fast. They celebrate like good Baptists, and they eat, right? And so that's the image, is that they're with me, so this is not a time for fasting because the bridegroom is physically in their presence. But notice what he says in verse 20. He speaks of a day when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Guess what? That's the day we live in right now. The bridegroom has been taken away from him. He has, he has ascended into heaven. We are waiting as we sang in that song, Lord Jesus, come soon. And notice, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, which is where we live now, what Jesus says in verse 20, in that day they will fast. So when God 
when it comes to fasting, this is the day of fasting. Not, not Sunday, but this is the time to be fasting. And we fast to focus on God. Because we live separated from him. We are not in our eternal home. We are living in a place we no longer belong. We are aliens. We are sojourners. So we are spiritually homesick. How do you know if you're spiritually homesick? When you turn on the news, when you hear something going on in the world, and you just get disgusted. How can people do that? The reason you have that feeling, because you know this is not where you belong. You know in your eternal home these things will never happen. And so you're homesick, and so we fast so we can focus on God. We fast so we can tune our hearts and our mind and our souls on God and what God is doing, not what this world is doing, but what is God doing. So we might fast because we mourn over our nation and the direction it's going. We might fast because we see the news and what is the terrors going on in Ukraine, and we might fast and pray for God to move his mighty hand in that situation. We might fast because we're going through a difficult situation in our own life, and we need wisdom. You might have to fast because you have a big decision coming up, and you can get all this information from all these people in your life, but you want God's information. You want God's wisdom on how you should make that decision. That's what the apostles did in the book of Acts. When they had to decide who were going to be the church leaders, who were going to be the deacons, they fasted before they made that decision. You might fast because God has revealed in your life you need to make a change of habit. And so you need to fast. But when it comes to fasting, it's always associated with prayer and communing with God. I say it's because fasting, the point of spiritual Scriptural fasting is not to lose weight. That's dieting. In Scripture, there are three different types of fasts. There's the typical fast. The typical fast called for the abstaining from all food, all solids and liquids except water. There was an absolute fast which called for abstaining from all foods and all liquids. And then there was a partial fast which called from abstaining from a particular food or maybe even a particular item. And times of fast in Scripture can vary. They might go from sunrise to sundown, but the most normal fast, the most custom fast, was from sundown to sundown or 24 hours as prescribed with the Day of Atonement. There are other fasts, not just a typical and absolute and partial. There is a national fast. King Solomon called the nation of Israel to a national fast that they would turn their hearts and attention back on God. There's 36-hour fasts, and those could be typical, absolute, or partial. There could be a three-day fast, seven-day fast, and, of course, the 40-day fast. Here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is not commanding a day. He's not commanding a time. He's not even commanding a way to fast. But he's delivering the expectation as God's people, we will in fact fast. Because fasting is a means in which we deny the physical so we can focus on the spiritual. And so if you've never fasted before, I want to give you a couple heads up, some, I don't call them warning signs, but things you should be aware of that are going to happen because fasting can be discomfortable. First, there's going to be discomfort, and sometimes when you fast from food, that comes through hunger pains. Your stomach will start to feel funny. It'll start to maybe cringe up. 
If you're fasting from food or maybe I know some people who have fasted from caffeine, you can expect a headache. It's going to happen. If you fast from media, maybe you're going to fast from like Facebook or TV or movies or streaming stuff. You're probably going to feel lost because you did all this stuff at a particular moment of time and you're just trying to figure out what do I fill my time with. That's why when we fast and we have that discomfort, we fall to our knees, we pray, we get in God's word, we read because it's that discomfort that is reminding us that we have become dependent upon something when we as God's people are to be dependent upon him. And so we fill our time with God when we normally would have filled our time with eating food or watching something or doing some activity. Fasting calls us to focus on matters that are impacting our heart and our walk with God. And so your mind, your body is going to go through a feeling that's going to feel like withdrawal because you're you're afflicting yourself. We don't fast from something that's easy to give up. For example, if if you play video games, but you don't play video games that much, and you say, well, I'm going to fast from video games, that's not really discomfort. That's not really afflicting yourself. If you're not on social media websites, and you say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to fast from being on Facebook or whatever site you're on, but you're rarely on those things, that's not really fasting. That's not afflicting yourself. If you're going to fast from a TV show, don't record it. Serious. If you're going to fast from a TV show, don't record it. Part of fasting is that you're going to abstain from something completely. But is there a time when we should tell someone we're fasting? Obviously, Jesus says we're not to advertise. We're not to walk around and let people know. But I would say there are certain situations and certain circumstances in which you may need to let at least one person know. For example, if Jamie, my wife, were to cook a delicious dinner and I was fasting but did not tell her, she may think that I think her cooking is horrible or whatever she made is disgusting. And so it would be beneficial for me, (laughs) you're not her, but for me to let her know hey, I'm fasting, so I'm not going to eat whatever you're making. If you never fasted before, I recommend starting with a partial fast. Again, a partial fast is that you're going to fast from a a food or a drink or an activity or an item. Again, typical fasts deal with food, but maybe you begin by fasting by watching, not watching TV or getting on the computer or playing on your phone. Maybe you fast from a certain activity or a certain addiction. Students, maybe you fast from video games or Facebook or whatever it is that consumes your time. Maybe you fast from a certain style of music that you know is not beneficial to your heart. Maybe this week, instead of eating out for lunch or going out for dinner, we fast from going out and we make our lunch or we cook our own dinner. And the money we would have spent On those things, we give that money to expand the kingdom of God. And the time we would have spent waiting to get in our seat, we'll spend it in prayer. One thing we definitely have to be aware of when it comes to fasting, fasting engages us in spiritual warfare. We may be experiencing the physical aspect of fasting, but we have to become aware that a spiritual battle is what is going on for our heart and our mind, our attention and our allegiance. So fasting allows our heart, mind, and soul to be nourished not by the things of the world, but instead by the things of God. It puts an emphasis on the spiritual 
puts an emphasis on our relationship with the God who loves us. So here's the application. The application is really simple this week. You probably guess what it's going to be. Find something this week to fast from. Pray on it. Spend time actually praying on it. Figure out something that takes your time that would be beneficial if I had spent that time with God. Now, students, you cannot say you're going to fast from school this week. You're on spring break. Matter of fact, I would say you probably could never say that to your parents. They probably wouldn't let that happen. But maybe you're going to go like the day of atonement. You know, I'm going to fast from work. I'm working myself ragged. I'm going to take a day, and I'm going to fast from work. Here's the thing. If you fast from work, then the time you would be at work, you're spending that time solely focused on God. But this week, find something you can fast from. And it may be a day. It may be all week. It may be a couple days. It may be something that comes out of lifestyle. My pastors, one time I, I preached on fasting, and there were two individuals at church that day, and both of them were smokers. And so they got together and made a pact that, you know, we're, we're going to fast from smoking for this entire week. We were leading up to Easter. And when they had the urge to go get a cigarette and go have a smoke, instead of doing that, they would open up their Bible, they would pray, they would sing songs of worship, they would focus their mind and their heart on God. And after a week, they decided, we can do without smoking. It's not that beneficial. It's not benefiting our relationship with God at all. It's not benefiting our relationship with people. Find something you can fast from. Pick a day. But here's the thing. If you're going to fast from, like, let's say you're going to fast from TV, don't pick the day that you're not going to be home to watch TV. That's not fasting. You weren't going to be there anyway. It's got to be discomfortable. It's got to afflict us in some way. You might think, why? Pastor Mike, I don't, I don't, why? Why would, why would I do that? Why would I afflict myself? First, right here, Jesus expects it. When you fast, just like when you give and when you pray. Secondly, Jesus didn't expect it of it, of us, without modeling it to us. Jesus fasted, and we're to follow Jesus' example. Finally, God says in his word, while we are away from our bridegroom, we are to be fasting. After Jesus was baptized, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. That word wilderness means desolate area. It means desert in some places. And he fasted for 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, that's when the enemy came. That's when Satan attacked. Because he knew that in that moment, Jesus was physically at his weakest. And he knew this was the most opportune time that he could try to get him. Because if he could stop Jesus from doing what Jesus came to do, he would wreck the whole plan. I share this because Jesus didn't fall into the temptations that Satan brought upon him at the end of his fast. And this may be what you need to hear today. Because Jesus didn't fall into the temptations in the wilderness. And he didn't fall into temptations throughout his entire life. It means that Jesus was without sin. To be without sin means that Jesus never did anything that was opposed to the will, word, and command of God. Something that you and I cannot do even in our best day. 
And Jesus did this because he knew that we would need a Savior. He knew that we would need forgiveness for our sins. He knew that we would want to go to heaven. We would want eternal life, but he knew we couldn't get there on our own. We did not have the power. We did not have the ability. So you may be here this morning. Here's something you need to to hear. You have been fasting, afflicting yourself from the one purpose you were created for. And that was a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is what we call the good news, the gospel. God, our Father, created everyone to be in a relationship with him. That's why you're made. That's why you're breathing in this moment. The issue you may have is that your sins are separating you from that relationship. And it's not about coming to church on Sunday. It's not about giving or praying or even fasting that's going to remove your sin problem. It is only through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ paid the full price of everyone's sin by dying on the cross and rising again. He showed his power over death, which is what sin gives us. He showed his power over death and his ability to forgive sins and the gift of eternal life. And the Bible says if you believe that in your heart, that that is true. That doesn't mean you have to fully understand all of it, but you believe that is true and that is something you need. Then you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and confess him as your Lord and Savior. So when I come down here in a moment, if you know that's you, I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. We'll pray together, and I guarantee you there won't be a person in this room who won't be celebrating with you, just as the angels do. But brothers and sisters, Christ, if you already made that commitment, then I'm going to again challenge you. Something this week, spend some time this afternoon praying on it. Fast from something. And focus that time on God. We ask Jackson to come up and lead us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for providing us an abundance. But Lord, we know that we go, you know we go through hurting times. We know that this world is hurting. So Father, we want to turn our attention not on what's going on in the world, but our attention onto you, the God who can fix it all. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has not accepted you as their Savior, I pray in this moment that your Spirit would reveal that to them and they wouldn't be able to stay where they are, but they would walk down that aisle and let it be known this morning. We ask you to continue to be glorified as we come to this time of response and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.